How are you out there? Amen. Thirsty. My wife thinks I'm a camel when we go out to eat. I have drink everybody's water at the table. And I steal her napkin while we're confessing here. Yes. So we're in Psalm 91 tonight. Um, I believe this is our third installment in this as we just kind of pick it apart and enjoy every morsel of it. How many know the word of God is to be savored? Amen. It's not like, well, I got to read my 2.5 chapters a day to get through the Bible in a year because I'm on a regimented program. You know, it's okay to do that, but it's not okay to rush through the word. Amen. Camp out wherever the Holy Spirit has something for you and dig there until you get it. Amen. Anybody digging out there? Anybody getting in the secret place? I just heard murmuring on that one. Well, here we are. Psalm 91. I'm going to read uh, through verse 8 tonight. Let's just thank God for the word. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you tonight that... We are in this place. We've been able to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord. We pray that our hearts are prepared tonight for what you have for us. Holy Spirit, as we dig into the word, open up the eyes of our understanding and drive deep into our hearts the principles and the gems and all the blessings you have for those who seek you beyond the point of convenience and for those who seek you with their whole hearts. Father, I thank you for this Wednesday night group, Lord, and I pray that You'd send each one of them home with a special deposit from your heart tonight, Father. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 91, verse 1 through 8. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the fowler and the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or in the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. So tonight we're just going to cover five through eight. Let me read that to you again. Why don't you close your eyes now that you heard the verse and you know that I'm not um, messing it up. You can trust the pastor for a few verses here. But just listen to this with your hearts. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand but it shall not come near you. You will only see with your eyes the recompense of the wicked. So we're going to unpack all of that tonight. There's plenty in there, and it should be an encouragement to you. Now, as we went through these verses to get to this section here, we're reminded that this is a psalm of protection that people who have gone in harm's way have held on to for the centuries, amen? Soldiers on the battlefield, this book that uh, I'm reading to you, little excerpts from, is God's Shield of Protection, Psalm 91, the military edition. This is uh, what soldiers read. It's geared towards them. There's some great things in here. But, you know, when you go into a place where your life is in jeopardy and at any moment you could step into eternity, 
you and I need to understand the protection of God is an asset that we have available to us, amen? Because if we don't understand we're protected by God, if we don't understand we're covered by the blood of Jesus, if we don't understand that the Lord has determined our, the beginning and the end of our lives and he set it in stone from the, from the moment of conception that, you know, that he's got us. If we don't understand this, the enemy's gonna use fear to just destroy us and allow our faith and our courage and our hope to unravel within us. So as we look at these verses, remember, uh, we are offered this promise of divine protection by birthright because we're children, amen? How many people have children? Would you protect them? Only half the hands went up. Well, God protects his children, amen? Verse 5 and 6 offer us the promise of peace in place of fear. These verses remind us that God's protection is with us at all times. It says, you know, look at how definitive the language here is in verse 5. You shall not. You, I mean, that, does it get any more solid than that? Not maybe you will, not if you're really good, not if, you know, you got it all together. You shall not be afraid of the terror that flies by night. Now, depending on what versions you have of the scripture, it says you will not be afraid. But I like the emphatic nature of the King James or the New King James. You shall not, because it's, it rightfully uh, converts the text to this area of hope where we say, yeah, I don't have to be afraid, amen. And you and I need to believe that tonight. It's, it's something that, you know, the enemy can talk us out of. You know, some things you just got to receive by faith and believe. You don't have to think about it, pray about it, talk to people about it, find out what your denomination thinks about it, amen. If the word says it, I believe it, that settles it, amen, when God's word says it. And so here it is, you shall not. And please understand, God's not suggesting when he says, you know, you shall not, uh, you know, go through these things and, and problems and troubles. God's not saying that we're never going to be challenged in life. Amen? There's some people who think, well, now that I'm a Christian, everything's going to go smooth and perfect. And if it doesn't, man, then I want to talk to the manager because I didn't sign up for this. You know, we thought we got on the love boat or the good ship lollipop, but really you got on a battleship, amen? And God never promised that, you know, we would never have challenges or that we would never feel overwhelmed. He never said that we wouldn't face mountains and giants or that we would never have a bad day or that even bad things wouldn't happen to us. How many have had, well, I don't know if I want to ask the question. But, you know, all of us have had stuff happen that we, it just kind of makes us shake our head. We don't know where that came from. Look, if you've walked with the Lord for more than five minutes, you already know that, you know, that's not what he promised, that we'd have an easy, peaceful, uneventful life. In fact, Christians have all kinds of troubles. Christians get into car accidents. Anyone ever had a call, you know, Geico? Was Allstate with you when, right? And anybody ever get into a car accident? Christians, you know, get sick in their bodies. Christians get COVID. Christians lose their lives through violence. Christians die in combat. If every soldier that knew the Lord and went onto the field of combat, if no Christians ever died, man, that would be something. But we know throughout history, people who loved God and fought for freedom and fought for others who were oppressed, they died. So Christians go through all kinds of challenges. Now, I want to say something. We are not invincible, our flesh. The 20-year-olds would think, I, I disagree with that. I'm, 
You know, but once you start to get a little older and you realize you're mortal, <clears throat> you're not invincible. We're not invincible and we're not categorically immune to the weaknesses of the flesh. Someone say amen. You know, there's some hyper-faith theology churches that preach these things. You know, when you get saved, you get baptized. Well, you're never going to sin again. You're always going to fly right and be perfect. And if you do, well, something's wrong. You need to get saved again. So raise your hand, weep at the altar, and we're going to dump you in the tank one more time. That's wrong theology. You and I, are we have weaknesses. We're not invincible. Uh, you know, we have... Uh, you know, weaknesses of the flesh. We're susceptible to things. We're susceptible uh, to certain things. We have trouble in this world. Uh, Jesus warned us in John 16 about this. He said, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a good service. Listen to this. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you. And when the times come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus prepping his disciples for what's about to come when he's, you know, killed and resurrected and goes to be with the Father. He's saying, guys, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be persecution. In fact, we know through church history, if we study every one of the disciples' lives, every one of them but John died a martyr's death. They boiled John in oil, and it didn't kill him. So they threw him on the island of Patmos, and God gave him the vision of the book of Revelation there. But John was the only one who wasn't martyred outright. So Jesus warns us of these things that are coming. Jesus warns us of persecution. He says, indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, it has come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. So there again, warning his disciples. We're disciples too. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation or trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So this idea of, you know, we're never going to have any trouble, we're never going to have any problems, Jesus told us the exact opposite of that. Now, here's the scripture saying, you shall not, you know, giving us this emphatic promise that, you know, God is going to keep us and God is going to protect us. So how do we drive those two things together? We're going to have trouble, but, you know, we don't have to be, you know, overcome. We don't have to be afraid and, and God's going to protect us. How do we make those two things work together? Here's how it works. So we're not immune to hardships in life, but we are immune to the fear and dread that come about worrying about such things. We're all going to face stuff in life, but you and I don't have to fear and worry and dread and be anxious about it. Why? Because he's going to take care of us through it. Amen. You see, those who don't have Jesus don't have that promise. They're going to go through all kinds of stuff. They, you know, they're, they're going crazy now. There are preppers out there loading their basements with food and ammunition and stuff, heading to the hills. They're scared. They see the world coming unglued. And as they look for trouble, we look for Jesus. And as they are anxious and don't know how it's going to turn out and if they're going to make it, we know that we've already made it because of what he's done on the cross. Come on tonight, church. Come on tonight. So, yeah, we're going to have trouble. Yeah, we're going to face giants. Yeah, we're going to deal with mountains and obstacles and tribulation. But, you know, where it says, you shall not be afraid. You shall not. Why? We don't have to fear because through it all, he'll be faithful to us. 
And at the end of it all, he'll take us to be with him for eternity, amen? So that, that's how that you shall not pans out. You know, the Christian that thinks, you know, everything's going to go fine, the minute trouble comes, they're offended. It's like that seed that's scorched, and then all of a sudden they don't want to serve Jesus anymore. Well, if Jesus isn't going to make it easy for me, then I'll just go have fun. It's quiet now. We, we all know people like that. Maybe at times we've been like that. Uh, the, the Bible says that we'll face afflictions. And yes, we'll have trouble. Listen to Psalm 34. The Lord is near those who have a broken heart. And he saves those with a contrite spirit. Listen to this, verse 19 of Psalm 34. Many, say many. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. Amen. Didn't say we wouldn't have any afflictions. Look, I'm sorry. I, I'm not in charge here. I work for him. I'm in sales. I'm just telling you what it says. I wish I could tell you that, you know what, you'll have no afflictions. I wish that was in there, but it's not. It, I wish I could tell you you might have one or two in a lifetime, but it doesn't say that. It says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of all of them. Say all. Every single one of them. You know, so you say, well, so how, how, you know, some people, you know, they, they die being afflicted. Well, their deliverance, and you're not going to like this, but their deliverance is death. You know, we fear death. We dread death like the world does, and we shouldn't as Christians. Why? Because that's our deliverance out of this mess. Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of sin? What's going to deliver us from this body of sin is, is leaving this body, and there's only one way to get out of it, and that's to die. Oh, there's going to be less people here next week. I want to take pictures of you to see who's, who it is that goes missing. I'm just telling you what it says. You shall. You shall. It's, it's, it's a certainty. Why? Because he's with us, because he delivers us, because he protects us, because we are covered by the blood. Now, it says to the believer, you shall not be afraid. You know, how, how can it say that? Because life is brutal at times, and, uh, you know, afflictions come and go, and our flesh is weak, and it's dying. The truth is that our spirits are doing the exact opposite of our bodies. As our bodies get older and weaker and closer to the grave, our spirit is renewed every day by the power of God. He's restoring us. He's refreshing us. He's conforming us to the image of Christ. He's making me less like Rick and more like Jesus. My wife is saying, hurry up. He's working on me. Amen. Come on. So while the flesh gets weak, the spirit gets stronger until that place where we come and we, we leave behind this body and we fall into his arms and we see him as he is and we're made perfect. We're going to be made perfect. Our theology is going to be perfect. Our thoughts are going to be perfect. We're going to be delivered from sin. Our bodies are finally going to be perfect. No more diets. No more fasting. No more slim fast. That's all going to hell. We're going to have perfect, glorified, eternal bodies. Woo! Amen. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what to tell you. But our flesh is mortal, but our spirits are eternal. Our flesh is weak, but our spirits are invincible. Our flesh will return to the dust, but our spirits will return to God. Believing these truths is what keeps us from being afraid. Look, if you and I don't ingest that and believe that and speak that, then the enemy will put fear on us and we'll be afraid of everything that comes down the pike. But if we believe this and we believe the word of God and we speak it out of our mouths, we shall not be afraid. 
Notice what the text suggests about the scope of our coverage from fear. Uh, You know, you think, well, what fears am I protected from? Uh, You will not be afraid, listen to this, to the terror by night. I'll, I'll take a pass on that. Anybody, the terror by night? Or by the arrow that flies by day? I don't want that one either. Or the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Look, I don't want anything that stalks in the darkness, right? Look at this. Or the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Look look at the scope of our protection. Now, if you read that quick, you're going to miss a lot that's in there. Uh, but, But listen to the text here. We shall not be afraid of the terror by night, say night, or the arrow that flies by day, say day, or the pestilence that stalks in darkness, say darkness, or the destruction that lays waste at noon. You got it. Night, day, light, darkness, black, pitch black, noon, brightest time of the day. Are you getting this? It's a 24-7 coverage. It's night and day coverage. Come on. I I want you to pick this out of here. Look look at the coverage. Anytime we think about, well, what am I covered from? We think insurance, don't we? Because if you've been alive for long enough to have insurance for long enough, you know that, you know, you pay your premiums without fail year after year after year. But the minute you make a claim, they pull out this stuff called fine print. You ever seen the fine print? Come on, and you find out you're not covered for that. Oh, they love to say that on the other side of the phone. I'm sorry, Mr. Leonardo, you didn't read the fine print. Look, I've been down to you know, Mississippi, Tim, you remember when we were down there and whole neighborhoods were wiped out from Katrina. And we would drive through neighborhoods and there was just a a small portion of the foundations left of the house. And on almost every house was a sign berating the insurance company that they had that refused to pay them now because they said they couldn't afford, it would bankrupt them. Allstate, all of these ones. They, they, They had things about Allstate I can't repeat in public. I mean, just... People angry, why? Because they paid and they paid and they paid. And it was, well, it's a natural disaster. We can't, we can't cover you. And people lost everything. So what are we covered for? I remember as a, as a young man, my dad just having all state insurance. I'm picking an all state tonight. We're probably going to get a lawsuit from them. So send, them the, send them the CD. But anyways, my dad had all state for decades. And he had one accident. He got a letter in the mail. We're dropping you. And I never forgot that. That's what they do. I just want, I'm trying to make that point. Yeah. Say it again. Oh, praise God, we have a witness. But it's not just, it's not just that company. It's all companies. When they, if they have to pay out, they're looking to get rid of you. But they'll let you pay and pay and pay. Now, that's not the kind of coverage that God gives us. God didn't say, well, you're covered. Oh, but you didn't pray yesterday. I'm sorry. You missed church. You didn't read the fine print. <laughs> That's not our God. Jesus paid the deductible, amen? But, you know, what's the scope of our coverage here? Look what it is. Terror by night, uh, the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence in the darkness, the destruction at noonday. It's night and day. It's all the time. It's the kind of coverage that protects us from cradle to grave. It's 24-7. It's 365 days a year. The blood of Jesus covers us, and we shall not be afraid, amen? Praise God. Look, the dark is scary for most people, amen, especially little kids. In fact, who's brave enough to admit they were scared of the dark when they were kids? Amen. Is Gary raising his hand back there, that chicken? 
Look at him in the sound booth. Still, he's got a light on in the sound booth because he's still scared. But most kids are scared of the dark to a certain degree, man. And, you know, the darkness is a scary thing. Uh, you know, the description here, the terror by night. Man, kids probably shouldn't read this part of the scripture. Daddy, what's the terror by night? Or the pestilence that walks in darkness. What? This concept of light and darkness is a prevalent theme in the New Testament here. We're seeing it in these verses here as a, as a summary of our protection that we're protected all the time, night and day, in every situation. But we need to see this concept of light and darkness because it is so much of the New Testament. You know, the light and the darkness represent two kingdoms at war with each other in the spiritual realm over the souls of men. There's the kingdom of darkness, it's with Satan and his demons, and there's the kingdom of light, and that's the kingdom of God. And those two kingdoms war with each other, the night and the day. Eastern culture represents that idea in the yin and yang symbol, if you've ever seen that before, the darkness and the light wrestling against each other, uh, and, and somehow, some way, they think it's an equal fight. But, you know, the Bible tells us that the darkness never had a chance, that Jesus has overcome the death, hell, and the grave, amen? There might not be this epic struggle in heaven, but there's this epic struggle in all of us. And those two kingdoms are at war over our souls. Think about how important a soul must be that both God and the devil want it. Wow. So here's this, you know, talking about the darkness and talking about the light and saying we're protected in both situations. 1 John 1.5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Did you hear that? God's light, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. There's no darkness in him. Do you realize that when we go into heaven and God creates the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and stuff, there's going to be no nighttime? Read, read Revelation. There's, there's going to be, you say, well, what's going to light it up? The sun, the moon? No, Jesus himself is going to be the light of the new Jerusalem. And because he's God, there's no darkness in him. It's going it's to be light all the time. Don't sit there and think, well, how am I going to sleep? You're not going to have to. Are you going to eat whatever you want? You're not going to gain weight. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> but understand this light and darkness struggle here, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son and his love. So understand, there's that, there's that light and there's that darkness. There are two kingdoms. We are protected in every instance, night and day, all the time. Now, it's sad that so many Christians stay immature, and like little children, they're still afraid of the dark in a spiritual sense. So many Christians are afraid of the darkness. They're afraid of what the devil's up to. They're afraid of what, the, the, you know, the, the kingdom of darkness. What, oh, what's he planning now? How's he going to come at me this time? And too many Christians focus too much on the enemy instead of on Jesus. And you say, what is that? It's immaturity. Why? Because as adults, we shouldn't be afraid of the dark anymore. As mature Christians, we shouldn't be afraid of the dark anymore yet so many are afraid of the darkness and why because they let their imaginations run wild and they've made the enemy out to be so much more powerful than he really is he's a defeated foe and as long as you and i stay in christ and walk with him listen he has no advantage over us some of you are writing some of you in shock some of you fell asleep but the truth is you shouldn't be afraid of the dark. Now, there's a story about the late, great 
preacher, Smith Wigglesworth. Has anyone ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Amen. Got a funny name, but a good, solid man of God. Now, he was having some really bad dreams. He was tossing and turning, and he woke up in the dark of night. And it was said that Wigglesworth looked around the room, and he saw the devil himself sitting on the edge of his bed. Instead of being afraid, the preacher looked at the devil and said, oh, it's just you, and went back to sleep. Now, that's how much respect we should give to the enemy. Oh, the devil's in my room. Pastor Rick. I'll rebuke him and cast him out. You got the same Jesus in you as it got in me. It's two in the morning. Use some of that Jesus, would you? Wigglesworth, he looks at the edge of the bed. Oh, it's just you. That's how much respect we should give him. In fact, the scripture says that when we see this one who deceived the nations, he's going to be so pitiful and so weak and so despicable that you, you would look at him with disgust. There's nothing to the devil. The only glory Satan had when he was Lucifer was the reflected glory of God. And the minute he rebelled in pride, God cast him from heaven like lightning and he lost all that glory. And now he's a twisted, tormented, horrible spirit who wants to get back at God by snaring the souls of men and taking them to hell where he's going. Don't give the enemy any respect. Don't be afraid of the dark. Be a mature Christian and stand up in your authority, amen? Luke 10, 18 through 20, Jesus makes it very clear how the children of the kingdom of the light should feel about the enemy. It says this, and I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Just what I was talking about. Behold, I give you authority. Jesus said, I saw him fall. He's got no power. He's stripped. Now listen, verse 19. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Should I say it again? Or? All right. I mean, if you can't get excited about that, that he's a defeated foe, that God has promised us authority and power, that, that the enemy can't touch us or hurt us. Well, then why does he? Because we mess with sin, because we come out from under the covering and go into the world and yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness, then he gets a legal right to harass us. Because we open up our hearts and we breach the, our consecration to the Lord and we chase after other things. Come on, I can go on for a long time on this. Amen. You are more than a conqueror. You are the victor, not the victim. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have power, dominion, and authority over all the darkness in Jesus' name. You're an overcomer. You've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. You are a child of God. Believe that. Receive that in Jesus' name and start acting like that. Amen. So the protection we enjoy from God is unique in that we can be in the midst of a crowd of people and be covered by the blood of Jesus and something can happen and you and I will be protected when all around us are not. I want to read you a story from this book, God's Shield of Protection. It has some great accounts of faith in it. And here's, here's a, a, a story of a woman who finds the protection of God in the midst of a great earthquake. Our granddaughter, Jolene, and her husband, Heath Adams, a U.S. Air Force member, were stationed in Turkey just before war was declared in Iraq. 
Soon after her arrival in Turkey, Jolene started working as a lifeguard at a pool. One day at the end of June, she began to hear a loud noise that sounded much like a jet breaking the sound barrier. Then everything started to shake. Everyone around her began to panic when the water splashed in the pool from an earthquake she later found out to be 6.3 on the Richter scale. Swimmers were desperately trying to get out of the water to find a place of safety, while young little children clung to Jolene and screamed in fear. Everywhere, people were hollering, but Jolene said she felt a peace and a calm come over that she'd never felt before. She started to pray in a loud voice, pleading the blood of Jesus over the base and over the people there. Suddenly, everyone around her became perfectly quiet and began to listen to her pray. Not one of the people on the base were seriously hurt. Just five minutes down the road, apartment buildings collapsed and hundreds of thousands of people were killed in the quake. Heath, her husband, was at work outside the base and watched the wall fall completely off a building and crumble to the street. Every day, Jolene and Heath had been praying Psalm 91 protection over their home, and it certainly paid off. The base suffered a great deal of structural damage, the PX and the gym were completely lost, and many of the houses were destroyed. Furniture, TVs, stereos were ruined as well, causing thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage. Many of the houses had such huge cracks from the earthquake, you could actually see through the walls. One home, just one block away from their home, the staircase had completely separated from the wall. The miracle was, other than the tiny crack over their doorway, there was not one bit of damage in their house or any of their furnishings. While many of their friends had to move out of their homes, they were able to stay and repair the small crack. God wants us to take seriously his promises, and we don't have to fear the destruction that approaches us. What a timely thought for now, amen? There's a couple things I want to point out from that. One, God blessed this woman of faith that had the guts to pray in the midst of the storm. You see, it takes a lot of guts to stand up while the earth is quaking and pray out loud. Some of us would have just hunkered down and maybe prayed quietly to ourselves. I don't believe the same power of God would be released unless she took that bold stance to pray. And when she did pray, God answered from heaven and all those around her stopped and listened to the prayer so they knew that God answered from heaven. You and I need to be bold in the days ahead. You and I need to be bold and open our mouths and pray and speak out loud because the world is deciding whether or not this Jesus thing is real and they need some of us to stand up and prove it. The protection we enjoy from God is on us regardless of who's around us. Now, verse 7 lists two specific groups that may fall around us. And this is an interesting thing here. It says, a thousand may fall at your side. Did you hear that? At your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Let's take a look at that verse. Two specific groups here. There's those at your side and those at your right hand. Now, a 1,000 may fall at your side. What does that mean? Those are those who fight alongside you or who are around you, who are alongside you. They're not against you. Uh, maybe they're not Christians. Maybe they're nominal Christians, but there's people who are around you, and they are at your side. Sometimes in the fight, people fall around you. If you've been in combat, if you've been uh, on the battlefield, you know you lose friends, you lose people around you. It, it, it's just what happens. And it says a thousand will fall at your side. There are people around us that for whatever reason won't serve God, don't want to 
come to Jesus and we might love them, we might be close to them, but they're going to fall at our sides. But it's not going to touch us. Now listen to this. 10,000, so 1,000 at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. Those who fight against the enemy will fall. Yes, but the right hand is the hand that most people hold a weapon in. Most people are right-handed. So when it says 10,000 shall fall at your right hand, that means in the fight, you're going to put some of the enemy down. And you're going to put a lot more of the enemy down than that's going to fall next to you. But in the fight, you're going to slay like David slayed thousands and thousands of Philistines. You're all quiet now. I didn't sign up to fight. We're talking spiritually here. Put your swords back in the sheath. But in the fight, you're going to put the enemy to fight, and you're going to put demons to fight, and you're going to put the wicked to flight. But it's not going to touch you. I've been in, think about how many times David went onto the battlefield, how many thousands of Philistines he killed, all of that that he did, yet it never touched him. Not one arrow, not one sword, not one javelin, not even Saul's. The protection of God. David is an example of us as believers who are under God's anointing. David was God's anointed, God's hand-picked. You and I are God's anointed. We're God's hand-picked. He's got us covered, and it's not going to touch us. No matter how bad the battle gets, no matter how dark the world gets, come on, it's not going to touch us. It's absolutely true that when we stay close to God and avoid sin, that it lets God be the one who controls what touches our lives. You see, if I'll stay close to him, in covenant with him, and do my very best to avoid sin, he'll cover me and protect me, and nothing will touch me unless he says it's allowed to. That's true. Now listen, it's equally true that if I reject God and choose sin, I open the door to the enemy to touch me with all the things that God never wanted to touch me. Didn't say I lost my salvation. Didn't say I'm I'm not going to heaven anymore. Said I'm going to get touched by things that God would have spared me from. Why? Because I didn't stay close to him and I didn't avoid sin. That's true whether we clap or not. So the choice is ours. Amen? Amen. See, this is why the enemy want, attacks us all the time to make us compromise, to make us cross the line, to make us just do a little bit of this. So, you know, well, you know, it's just this one thing. God will forgive you for it. You know, uh, he tries to compromise us once because then he knows he has a legal right to come in and mess with us. Some of us need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we've opened the door because the enemy's running amok in our lives. He's running amok in our marriages, running amok with our children, and we got to slam those doors shut, amen? I don't know about you, but I want to live in such a way that only what God has for me can touch my life. Stay close to him. Sincerely try to avoid sin. Don't give it lip service. Don't just dress it up for Sunday. Sincerely fight against it, war against it. Purge every bit of it out of your life. You know, we have to learn to hate sin before we can actually purge it out of our lives. You know, there's times I've gone to God and say, God, you know what? This sin, I I like this sin. Oh, the pastor's a sinner. Look at him up there. God, I like this. You know, the, the, the Bible says the pleasures of sin are for a season. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it, amen? Now, stop trying to think of what my sin is and worry about yourself. I see the way you're looking at me. See, there's times that I have to, I like doing this, God. I don't, I, I don't want to stop. Please, and I've said, please, Lord, n- let me see ha- how you see it until I hate it. 
And in every area where he changed my heart in that, I was able to avoid that and just grow up and be more mature and leave things behind, amen? So we've got to hate sin before we can overcome sin. But if we sincerely try to avoid sin, God will honor us. And if we do sin, we need to repent immediately and plead the blood of Jesus over our lives and get rest, restoration, Amen. He knows that we're going to blow it. We're going to drop the ball. All he asks is that we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive our sin. Amen. So th there's a group that's going to fall by our side. There's a larger group that's going to fall by our hand. And in the battle and in the fight and in all the carnage, God says, I got you. I'll protect you. Stay close to me. It's not going to touch you. Wow. Verse 8 is our last verse tonight. And I'm going to cover it. It's a sobering verse. Listen to this. You will only look upon with your eyes and see the destruction or the recompense or whatever your translation says, the destruction of the wicked. So, you know, this is an interesting verse until you get to the New Testament and find out what he's talking about here. Only with your eyes will you see the destruction of the wicked. What he's talking about is that you and I who are believers, who are born again and destined to be with God for eternity, we are literally going to see with our own eyes the wicked receive the vengeance of God. Some people are like, I don't want to be there. Well, the word tells us we are going to be there and we're going to see it. God has slated destruction for the wicked. And, you know, we look around and we see all kinds of people doing all kinds of wicked things and they get away with it over and over and over and over again from the politicians that lie, cheat, and steal, from the pedophiles that abuse children, from the smugglers that take sex traffic workers and, and abuse children and abduct. And, and we say, God, when are you going to do something about it? God, take the gloves off. Let me do something about it. And God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And he wasn't kidding about that. So when Pastor Tony was here, I don't know if you remember, he used to say, it looks like everybody's getting away with everything, but I want to tell you, nobody's getting away with nothing. And the truth is, nobody's getting away with nothing. The wicked think they're getting away with it. They think they're not accountable. Nobody can stop them. There's no judgment to face. But I'm here to tell you that the word of God says something different. And this verse tells us with our eyes, we're going to see it. God, are they ever going to get what? Are you ever going to? Yeah, I'm going to, and you're going to see it. We're going to see world leaders and military leaders and politicians and false prophets and false preachers, violent criminals, abusers, killers, rapists, murderers, those who prey on children, uh, those who mocked and refused Jesus, those who persecuted the church. We're going to see all of them punished for eternity. Now, Again, there's part of our hearts that go, Lord, I don't even want to see that. But the word says we're going to, and here I'm going to read to you where it says that. Matthew 25, 31 through 41, gives us a description of what we're going to see with our own eyes, as this verse 8 tells us in Psalm 91. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Listen to verse 41. Then he will say also to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And you and I are going to see that. Understand, out of the two groups in that text that Jesus is talking about, we don't want to be on the left. <laughs> All you lefties out there, you commies. Yeah, that franchise is going to burn in hell for eternity. And God wants us to come to him. God wants us to be saved. God wants us to come out of sin and wickedness. But there are multitudes of people who just won't. And it's not up to us to say, we need to get revenge or we need to set things straight. It's God's job. But we're going to see it with our own eyes. Now, after having read Matthew 25 and listened to that, uh, verse 8 becomes even a little bit more sobering. And you will look on with your own eyes and see the punishment, the recompense, the destruction of the wicked. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I think it's the heart of every New Testament Christian when we read a verse like this. While we're excited about those who've abused and done all kinds of heinous things, we're excited about that stopping. But Lord, we don't want anyone to be lost. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd be in that group on the left with the goats. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to woo us and you pursued us and you gave us chance after chance until we came into a kingdom relationship with you. Father, we're not looking forward to the destruction of the wicked. We want them to be saved. And so use us to do just that. And Father, help us to remember and to be bold in these dark days that we're of the kingdom of light and that we can stand like that woman in the story and pray with boldness and authority until the whole world hears and sees the protection of God over his children. God, give us boldness in this hour and let us not fear to, to choose to believe your word rather than what we see and what we feel and what, what the news report says or what the doctor says. To choose to believe your word that we are blessed and we are protected and you've got us safely in your hands. Drive every ounce of fear out of us and give us the boldness that comes from being in right relationship with you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.